If your restaurant wants to put the best on the table, look for food with the New York State Certified Seal. It's food that is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It's a kind of gloomy Sunday here in Brooklyn, but I am really excited because I have the delightful presence of a wonderful James Beard Award-winning cookbook author, and uh, she's one of the most prolific cookbook authors and food journalists there are. Um, there are. And uh, she came from across the pond just for this interview. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I did, Cassie. Okay, good, good. Excellent. And uh, that would be Diana Henry. Thank you so much for joining. Good to be here. Um, your latest book is called Simple, Effortless Food, Big Flavors. Uh, you may have seen some of her previous books. There was, the, as we mentioned, the James Beard award-winning A Bird in the Hand. There's a change of appetite, salt, sugar, smoke, roast figs, sugar, snow, crazy water, pickled lemons. I just love the titles. I just love reading them. So A good title is really important, I think. Isn't it? Sometimes the book will start with a title. It's, it's not so good if you oh. have to struggle to find mm. one. When I did Crazy Water, Pickled Lemons, I had lots with the first book I wrote. I had quite a lot of recipes in my head because it was about food that was had enchanted me. I grew up in Ireland so there was nothing exotic but reading things like the Arabian Nights Mm. so I started to kind of long for ingredients like figs and pomegranates Um, so I had an idea of the kind of food that would be but then crazy water is an actual dish that's served on the Amalfi Coast it's a fish dish and then pickled lemons to preserve lemons something they have in North Africa and I put those two things together and that seemed to be just kind of really capture that kind of food that title seemed to say that to me it's that is a captivating bit of a romantic title. yeah and and it's very striking for um you know it's i think it says a lot about your style of food writing it's um it's very emotional it's very um it's just lovely and descriptive and um it's it's personal too it is very personal it's funny because i think I think Americans are more comfortable with fat than we've been right. in the UK. When I, with that first book, which in fact has been selling and, and is still selling, it's become a kind of like classic among people mm-hmm. who love food. Uh, but some reviewers said, oh, it's all about I. She's always talking about what she thinks. It's mm. like, well, what else would I be writing about? So I think it was hard to get that voice accepted Mm. in the UK. And I like a lot of American food writers, and I think they're much more comfortable with the personal and emotional approach to food. And, you know, food is not just something we eat. It is about memory and imagination and where you come from. So, And I want to read other people's personal feelings about it and their reactions to it. So I just wrote, really, what I wanted to read. Right. That's really a good point. You know, food recipes didn't come from some, like, I, I guess, you know, scholarly text or bible it came from somebody's imagination well there's that and also recipes come from you know a cultural context Mm -hmm. and i always love to hear whether it's a traditional recipe that a writer um 
has picked up and they've changed it slightly or whether it's something that comes out of their heads completely. I love to know what inspired dishes or where they've come from. I think recipes in a context is what I... I love reading about that. Mm-hmm. I would never try to go online to find recipes because, yeah, they're recipes, but they're not part of anything. Right. And... You know, they might work and they'll get supper on the table maybe. But the whole joy of food, I think, is where it comes from. Absolutely. The context. Yeah. That connects you to, like, why do I care? Why should I care about this dish? Well, and I think recipes particularly are about um, connectedness. Heidi Swanson, Mm -hmm. it's a very good quote. She said once that recipes intersect our lives. And I think that's really true. And before I even started writing about food when I went on holidays or I went to you know abroad I would try if I could to kind of talk my way into somebody's home kitchen I certainly would talk about food to the people I met and I'd I'd come back home after holidays with you know recipes in my pockets yeah and um now I just do that I but I collect more of them but that way that you're connected to someone who gives you one of their recipes and maybe you give give them one of yours it's from my home to yours uh, and from my country to yours I I like that I think that's a very special thing about food and it's the truth it really is so Mm. so you mentioned Heidi Swanson 101 cookbooks uh, prolific blogger yeah Um, what other food writing idols or mentors have you had oh in the states or actually anywhere Um, here I love um, John Thorne Mm-hmm. Calvin Trilling, mm-hmm. uh, Molly O'Neill. She's mm. she's a, she's a great writer. I think I know she doesn't write for the New York Times anymore, but I think she's her prose is wonderful. Um, and in terms of kind of of influence, it would be this sounds kind of mad for someone from Ireland, but it would be Californian. When I first discovered Alice Waters' Chez Penny's Menu Cookbook. We in London, we were in the middle of Nouvelle Cuisine. So it was hexagonal plates and really reduced stock sauces. And I was always buying veal bones to make stock. And then I found Alice's book. And the first menu that I hit on, I think it was um, goat's cheese with roast garlic and sourdough. And then she had roast pork with charred peppers. And then for dessert, she was just suggesting a bowl of cherries and almond cookies. And that was revolutionary yeah, from where we were true. at that time. Yeah. And a kind of shiver did go down yeah. my spine at the magicalness of a menu that simple. Very clear fra- flavours and a sense of place as well. It was kind of Mediterranean inspired, but it was very Californian. It was definitely very opinionated. It had a strong point of view. Right? Yeah, yeah, well that influenced me and I love Joyce Goldstein who works there as well mm-hmm. and Judy Rogers from the Zuni Cafe. So as soon as I discovered Alice, I kept a big eye on what was happening mm. over there and she's had I mean that whole kind of Californian approach that led to the local seasonal kind of mantra mm. which we all have you know in lots of countries now that's I think that's where it came from so we have I think in the UK we have a debt to Californian food that's not always um, credited interesting yeah and you mentioned in the beginning of your book that um, y- the uncommon ingredients has really grown in the oh, UK yeah. in the past decade or so. Yes. And uh, that sometimes is divisive. So some people are delighted to hear about recipes with like uh, pomegranate molasses mm. and others are like, but this is not something I can just grab. I have to go hunt, you know, complain. I get about two thirds who really want to go and find new ingredients yeah. and about a third who really moan about it. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty with that is if I'm writing a cookbook, there's no point in me putting in, you know, how to make shepherd's pie or fish cakes. Most people already know, and it's been done in lots of books. So I do think, and it's just my approach, I mean, in among all the kind of 
Irish and British traditional dishes yeah. I do, I've always loved to kind of suck up other cultures. Right. And that means having other ingredients. And explore through tasting and cooking yeah. yourself. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. if you are at home and cooking every day for a family or even just for you and your partner, um, you do want to you want to try new things. But also it is about tasting a culture, which is yeah. something I really love to do. Yeah. I mean, my, my, um, my larder, my store cupboard at home it's divided up into sections according to where the where the kind of the, the, the food is from. So I have got a big Middle Eastern section. So when there's the pomegranate molasses, the sumac, the preserved lemons and everything. I've got Spanish stuff. I've got Italian stuff. I've got a French section. There's a growing Scandinavian section. So mm. sometimes, you know, when you're trying to think about supper tonight, you go in there and you think, well, you know what you have in the fridge that's fresh. But also you look and you think, where can I go with this? Right. Um, so the, the kind of the thing of kind of moaning about not being able to get things, I don't quite understand it mm. because certainly in the UK, in most supermarkets, you can get most things and you can get anything online. And some of now. these things are just pantry staples. They last forever. I Actually, know. most, you know, yeah, any. you will just they'll just stay there. Spices you'll keep that. Yes. And, and so you'll be forth. able to keep using them. And as uh, we saw a great little description of your spice rack and your kitchen um, recently in the New York Times with a profile by Melissa Clark. So congrats. That was she really did, fun. She right? did look in my store cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Diana, I have to ask this now that we're on the topic of cultural, uh, international cuisines and how much that's really blowing up in, in everyday kitchens, but also in restaurants. There has been a bit of a discussion around the media over the question of you know, when what happens when a chef cooks uh, a cuisine outside their heritage? Uh, you know, where's where is there a line or is there a line crossing into something that may be called cultural exploitation? That is its new fad buzz word. Um, so. It's something that I've been sort of concerned about, but not because I thought somebody was possessing something else that they shouldn't. I just would like to be sure that somebody knows what they're doing, that they understand the the cuisine sufficiently, that they're turning out good foods. Yeah. But I see the UK, we have taken stuff from everywhere since the Middle Ages. So, you know, um, spices that went into our Christmas pudding and a lot of the stuff that we like when you think Curries. of well mm-hmm. well that was kind of later but even early on we liked we liked sweet things with savory meats which is very arabic um so we were already kind of influenced by that kind of stuff oh, and then later on yeah we've had indian and pakistani people coming in and now chicken tikka masala is said to be the most favorite you know everyone's favorite dish <laughs> in the uk yeah. and it, you never felt, I mean, it has never been felt that we are taking these things that we shouldn't, but it's come in as a big hole. And I don't think you can stop the flow of things from country to country and culture to culture. I'm not even sure why you'd want to. <laughs> Nobody's kind of saying we're taking this and we're owning it and you can't have it anymore. I just think in history, the whole kind of the development of food and the kind of evolution of dishes has had to do with kind of crossing cultures. So to to stop that or to ban it or be to be too aware of it, or I think to... is just not natural in a way. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great perception to just kind of step back for a moment and just look at this whole evolution instead of, you know, focusing on this one chef and what he's doing and so forth. Do, here, do you people know. feel that, the, that it's wrong? Is there... There has been some controversies lately, um, uh, you know, with... Um, I can't, 
just kind of blanking on his name. Yeah. Uh, Mexican uh, restaurateur. Okay. Uh, who is an American. Yeah. Um, so there was, um, and then there was a Bon Appetit video showing a chef who was American um, creating a pho, pho dish and giving a sort of instructional how-to of, okay. that people had a problem with, and they took it down, Bon okay. Appetit. Yeah. Um, so, it's not. Know. It isn't such an issue in mm-hmm. the U.K., um, and I think there's kind of crossover be- right. between cultures Maybe different all attitudes. the time. I think we've been a very... I think we've been a very magpie culture in our own food history. We take things from everywhere. And and there's a real embracing of other people's, I mean, really, of other people's ingredients. We get very excited about it. I mean, it's partly because I think our own British food is quite, it's, it's not huge. We don't have, I couldn't sit here and name you 30 dishes that are in the kind of core British repertoire of classic dishes. So we've always um, taken stuff from elsewhere, but I think in a very positive way and in a very embracing way. And in a delicious way, yes. as we've seen in your cookbook. Um, yeah, thanks for shedding light on that. I always just love to ask people what their thoughts are. Uh, it's all over the place. So, um, but okay, so this book is called Simple mm-hmm. Effortless Food, Big Flavors. It is your 10th book. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, what made you land on this uh, simple route? Um, I think that people think, even people who are involved in food like me, uh, when you have to get supper or dinner on the table every day, you, I think it's hard to have ideas that aren't very time consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we think in building blocks. So the book is structured into that. kind of yeah. chops, sausages, fillets of fish. And I think even though that seems dull, I think that's where most people start when they think about the evening meal. Um, so then I wanted to take those and look at ways that they could be transformed into something that was a bit special, mm-hmm. but without making too much effort. It's not a book of quick cooking, because I think our focus on quick cooking means we think something you stand there and do for 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe it's a stir fry, lots of chopping, and then it's on the table. In a way, I like food that's even easier than that because I want stuff that you can do in about 10 to 15 minutes and maybe you stick it in the oven or it's on the mm-hmm. hob. And then you can go and open a bottle of wine or check your mail or you know deal with your children or whatever. But while you're doing that, the heat, either of your hob or of your oven, is doing the work. So that's the thing that's doing the transforming. You're not having to have very much kind of hands-on care on that dish at all. So that is what's in the book. It's um, When I say effortless, I really mean short amount of time at your kitchen counter, then you go and do something. Might take an hour for the thing to actually cook, but you haven't done very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that kind of cook. I love using my oven. I don't think we use our ovens enough. I mean, if you do, if you're kind of cooking chicken thighs, maybe with sweet potatoes and wedges of onion, they put some smoked paprika on it, good. olive oil, you get it in the oven. And when it goes in, it doesn't look like much. I mean, I don't even brine this chicken. But as long as it's all in a single layer, it will all cook at the same time. And then you take something out after 45 minutes, maybe put some feta on it, maybe coriander, slivers of preserved lemon. You have got a dish which is maybe really full of different flavors. some crusty bread and yeah. just dip it in there. And it's yeah. and it has com- the, the heat of the mm-hmm. oven has completely transformed this dish without you doing very much at all. And I do love that kind of cooking, especially during the week. I definitely want to talk more about this, uh, the building blocks philosophy, which I think is very helpful, and much more of your recipes um, after a quick little commercial interlude. We'll be right back. You have me 
chefs and restaurants are proud of the food they put on the table. And serving produce that comes from local, environmentally responsible farms is a way to leave an even better taste in everyone's mouth. So when shopping for your ingredients, look for the New York State Grown and Certified Seal. It lets you know which food is grown right, right here in New York State, certifying the food that comes from local farms that meet a higher standard. You'll not only be serving local food, you'll be supporting local farmers. Learn more about the New York State Grown and Certified Program at certified.ny.gov. All right, we're back with Diana Henry, whose latest book is Simple, Effortless Food, Big Flavors. So uh, we were just talking a little bit about the idea of building blocks to create a meal around and kind of thinking. I think that's like a really great way to kind of put you on a path of not having to think as much next no. time and you know, not having to do everything from all over, you know, just going through recipes, ingredients and so forth. So um, do you find that people, I, I think that certainly in the U.S. and, you know, I've been commenting on this for a while. They, they don't really cook as much these days um, or as, let's say, not as often as, I don't know, our parents' time. Um, what is it like in the UK? Do you think that that's... I think there's, there's a kind of problem. It's similarly in that we watch loads of TV shows, we buy loads of cookbooks and people feel they're too tired or too time short to do things in the evening. Um, it's one of the reasons I wanted a book like this one to be to make it feel doable for people. I really right. think, and I understand the time thing. the biggest challenge, yeah, the time. Yeah, I think that, and I think ideas are short as well. People kind of, so then it's just easier to get a takeaway. If you can't think, what will I do with chops? What will I do with chicken? But I really honestly think that if you do not do some cooking every day, I think you're missing out on the sensual pleasures in life. I mean, this is the easiest supper I will do, and I would take this above quite a few more complicated dishes would be spaghetti mm -hmm. with um you just saute sliced garlic in olive oil just let's golden don't let it go anymore um dry chili flakes flakes which you might have in your cupboard mm -hmm. chopped parsley lemon zest and lemon juice and then more olive oil mm -hmm. a good a good one an extra virgin to pour on it when you've tossed it all together and your parmesan and that is that is a delicious supper to me that's lovely but as well as as well as sitting down to eat it, while I've been cooking, I've had the smell of garlic. I've had the spray of lemon oil as I've cut into the lemon. When you chop parsley, it has that lovely green, fresh herbal smell. So in a way, you've been partly fed before you sit down to eat. Mm -hmm. And I know when I've, when there have been times when I worked in television and I was either in a studio or um, in an office, that when I had very long hours, I might have kind of had something very easy or maybe even had a ready meal in the evening. And after you do that for a week, you start to feel, well, I did start to feel quite low. There's something missing. Yeah. And I think the connection with actual fresh food every day, um, I just, I think it's good for people. I mean, I understand that not everybody feels comfortable in the kitchen, but I think it's a bit like saying, oh, I never take walks. I don't mm -hmm. walk. That's not the kind of thing I yeah. do. I've never, I don't want to go for walks in the country. Um, I think cooking is a similar kind of thing in that it's not really, you're missing out badly. It's not really an optional thing. I think it's a life thing that is good for you physically, but also good for you psychologically as well. Right. 
and not like not to go too crazy, you know, all at once, not to like pour yourself into too much work, but just take these things in stride and Yeah, I think that there are plenty of dishes that can be done very easily Mm -hmm. by people who do not feel that they're very good cooks at all. Um, This simple, the one I've just written, was slightly a follow-up to a book I did um, uh, in about 2004 called Cook Simple. Right. Um, And that was really mostly dishes that you bunged in the oven. And I started that kind of cooking Mm -hmm. when I had my first child because it was he cried all the time. I was always kind of like, what can I do with basically one hand? And I got a great response to that book. People who said... I can actually burn water. I can't cook anything, but I can cook from that book. And, and I could relate works. to it too. Yeah, you know? and I and, don't. And you really do, you know, walk I, the walk and talk the talk. I You're do not want so, people. Yeah, I do not want so people much. to feel they can't do it. Mm-hmm. I really want people to cook because I yeah. think it's. I think it's a joy. Yeah. So tell me, what do you think of the phenomenon of meal kits growing in popularity? I'm not a fan. <laughs> well, because I think if. I think any of those things which we feel become to feel dependent on, mm-hmm. um, then we're not kind of doing things yeah. for ourselves. I think it's funny that we live in a culture which is broadly nowadays, certainly in the UK and I would say here as well, where we want to be able to do things. We want to be in control. We want to be creative ourselves. And running alongside that is this kind of giving up of our autonomy via ready meals or fast food or meal kits to other people who are going to make those for us. You know, since we, since the beginning of the human race, we've had to feed ourselves. And I think everybody has to learn to do that for themselves. Yeah. It's sort of like just outsourcing it, but in a different way, you know, instead of the takeout meal, it's just this thing that will, can't, that will solve. Well, I think that, um, commercial concerns will always come up with kind of new spins on how they can help people with the evening meal and people will always try them it's not what i want to do Mm -hmm. so uh i guess it has a lot of your cookbook and cookbooks and food writing been focused on you know just it's i love that you really focus and meditate on home cooking rather than i know i love home cooking yeah so why is that after all these years all these books um, you didn't stray into restaurant reviewing or some, I don't know. Just home cooking. Opening is, your own restaurant. Oh, no, I hate that. <laughs> no. um, home cooking is just from a real place. And I'm interested in the people that the dishes come from as well as the dishes themselves. And I do like chefs and I we learn a, not, a lot from them in terms of technique. And um, I love going to restaurants. But I like I like real food that is rooted in the home, really, because mm-hmm. it comes from somewhere. Absolutely. So just we didn't really talk too much about (laughs) the wonderful home cooking that you shared in this book, and it really is something else. Um, uh, Okay, so talking about simple food, um, let's talk about this Ishita's chicken masala you mentioned you discovered from uh, somebody on Twitter. Yeah. This is a roast chicken that is rubbed with a lot of yummy spices. Yep, and yogurt. a nice little combination Mm -hmm. and yogurt. And then, and then you have a spectacular roast chicken. Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's just, it's not just roast chicken. It's something completely different. Mm-hmm. So you can have with that, um, some writer, some yogurt with a cucumber, um, maybe a fresh kind of chutney and then rice. And that's it really. But I love, it's very, I'm really glad you picked that one out mm-hmm. because, um, 
Ishita is someone that I met on Twitter. And for ages, I didn't even know. She's called Food at Food with Mustard. Mm -hmm. Um, So she lives in Bristol. But I thought for ages, you know, on Twitter, you never actually know who you're dealing with. So I thought she was a kind of antiques dealer dealer in her mid-40s. And I don't know why I thought that. (laughs) And then when I met her, she's a kind of 26-year-old surgeon. She's a doctor who lives in um, Bristol. And she loves home cooking and she loves food. Um, And one of the dishes that she tweeted one week that she'd cooked was her family's. That is a family recipe her chicken masala and I just said can I have the recipe I'd love this so I think that's another nice thing nowadays you don't even necessarily have to go you know on holidays into another country mm-hmm. someone you'll just find someone on Twitter who's like you that you get on with and they will share their recipe as well and it was definitely a passion project of hers to have this uh you know alter ego <laughs> in addition to being a what was it a doctor yeah she's yeah, a doctor I mean that's that's wild <laughs> she lo- she loves food and she loves fiction right. and I love both of those as yeah. well so we had a lot to talk about on Twitter that's wonderful it's a good place to meet up for other people who are interested in food I think that's that's what I find it good for let's keep in touch Diana on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> yes we must um so unfortunately that's about all the time we have for today i know there's so much to go over um do you have a favorite recipe that you're raring to cook right now there is there is a dish in there which is it's griddled chicken thighs with turkey spices and it has a tomato salsa on the side so tomato um onion coriander and parsley and you just need to marinate the thighs for a little bit and then griddle them that's that's really nice and if you add yogurt to that because the the salsa is actually quite spicy but that is the kind of food that you know you eat that it attacks the front of your mouth those flavors are quite big mm-hmm. um that's my kind of yeah that's a lovely supper dish to me that doesn't take much time to do it's all about a great you know pantry staple. i think i think a, i think a good pantry is important put it together yeah i'm definitely going to try that soon especially i don't use the oven enough so you've really inspired me <laughs> Just let it go. Don't use the fry pan. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, it's Diana. Been a pleasure. Um, I hope everyone checks out Simple, Effortless Food, Big Flavors, just out from Mitchell Beasley in the U.S. Um, it's wonderful. It's been wonderful having you. Okay. And uh, you can follow you on at Diana Henry. At, at Diana Henry Food. Excellent. Uh, thanks, everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.